I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric at home of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. Kyle Yeomans is the host of the pre- and post-game show for the Cowboys and the Talking Cowboys show. Kyle, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great. Thank you for giving us a little bit of time today. Kyle, I would say that if you did a poll of the Washington fans, I'd guess they were Dallas, Philly, and then New York. How do the Cowboys fans look at the current rivalry between the two teams? <laughs> you know, it's crazy because it, it just depends on who you're playing that week, right? I, I think uh, I think it changes throughout the year, of course, because you want to beat your, your divisional opponents. But I think overall right now, I, I would probably give Philly the edge just based off of the the recent history and the the back and forth that those two teams have had, especially since Philadelphia is the most recent divisional team to to actually reach the mountaintop and, and to actually Super Bowl. So I would probably put Philly number one, Washington number two at the at the moment. But uh, like I said, I mean, there's still no love lost between the uh, between the two sides. I think both uh, both sides want to beat each other, and, and those fan bases uh, reflect that as well. Uh, no doubt. I think you're right on that one. Uh, the odor for Washington isn't quite as meddlesome as he once was. How much is Jerry still involved in roster management? I, I believe he's still very involved. And, and I know really, at least lately, they've they've done a good job of kind of uh, delegating to, to whether it was the, the Stephen Jones and the ownership side of, uh, of making those decisions or even Mike McCarthy having input, the scouting staff having input. I think – well, that was reflected in the, the 2020 draft for the Cowboys when they had a lot of success and took a, a, a lot of highly touted prospects that are going to make an impact and have already made an impact on this team overall. So I think he's still very, very uh, adamant about having a say in the, in the roster planning, but there's definitely a lot of conversations that, that go into it and, and continue to, to kind of work itself out, and he'll continue to be a part of those uh, as long as he's around. Uh, interesting that we are accustomed to drama here all the time. News <laughs> out of Dallas this week about player unrest. Do we know anything more about that story? Uh, not necessarily. It's really tough with, with of course, COVID-19 restrictions. I mean, we're in the building, and, uh, I mean, I'm sitting at the star right now, uh, the, the Cowboys facility here in Frisco, and uh, they, they have the facility cut in half, basically, where one side of it is is all team personnel and tier one and tier two players, as noted by the NFL. And then the other side is, is regular staff and employees. I'm on the regular side. So is the rest of the media. Uh, so we don't get to have those conversations in the open locker rooms like we would in a normal season whenever a story like this would break. And you could kind of have those kind of back and forths with players and uh, talk things through in terms of what they're thinking and, and what they have heard and things like that. So it's, it's very tough to kind of tab a, a rumor like that, especially in a season of, of uncertainty like we're all dealing with right now with COVID-19 in the forefront. But uh, I, I think there's some truth to it because there's frustration. I mean, there's, there's obviously, obviously not the, the expectation is not to go to two and four. You, you, you want to win 
uh, especially with the roster that you've put together in the team that you put out there week one. And of course, injuries have played a huge factor into it, but also the, the, the coaching staff and a new regime in town is going to bring some frustration whenever you do start losing initially. This is the first time since 2015 the Cowboys have been uh, sub 500 following week six of the season uh, and like they have today. And so I think overall, you, you just have to find a, a bit of a rhythm with this coaching staff. You got to buy in. And I, I don't know if everyone's buying in or if it's just a couple players here and there, but uh, there's definitely some unrest and some things that you got to work on. Did they say at all whether this was a head coaching problem or an assistant coach thing or just general unrest? Do we know where it was being directed at? No, we don't know specifically where where it was kind of directed toward or, or what player coach even said things or who it was directed at at all. I think overall it's kind of just that general frustration. And, and sure, the player was probably – and Jane Slater was the original report from NFL Network. And uh, I, I believe she, she heard from a player in specifics, but I, I just don't know if even she knows who the player was talking about specifically. It was a very general comment and – uh, I think it just kind of adds to the fact of it being a, a, a frustrating start to the year. You uh, mentioned the injuries. Who is the on that starting line? Is there are there any original starters left? <laughs> uh, there's one at the moment, and that's Connor Williams, the the left guard. Because originally you had Tyrone Crawford, or excuse me, not Tyrone Crawford, Tyron Smith, and you had. Uh, you had Lyle Collins as your starting left and right tackles, respectively. You had Zach Martin, who started the other day, uh, but left the game and went into concussion protocol. So he's questionable going into to week seven against you guys. And uh, he's uh, an all pro at the, the right guard spot and somebody that I know Washington uh, is very familiar with. At center, the season started with Joe Looney. He's on IR at the moment. Tyler Biotish, a fourth-round draft pick and the Remington, Remington Trophy winner, uh, in college football a year ago uh, is is filled in and done a nice job at center right now, but it's only Connor Williams, the, the lone ranger, whenever it comes to that offensive line at the moment. What do they still feel about Tyron Smith? Is he got years left in him? How has his health been holding up? His health has definitely been an issue, and I think that's why they ultimately made the decision to kind of shut it down and to, to – address this neck issue because it's been a lingering thing for a couple years now and he's been dealing with stingers in the neck and it it would go away for a little while but then it would resurface and I think they wanted to kind of take advantage of it and try and get as much tread out of those tires as they potentially could because he definitely does have good playing years left and we saw that when he was in this year I mean whenever he was playing this year even not at 100 percent he still played better than anybody else has uh, on that left side of the offensive line. So I think he still has a couple years left in him. That, that's why they made that decision uh, instead of letting him play through it, which he had a previous absolutely play through it. But I think they wanted to, to take the safe route and make sure that he was good for the rest of his career and to kind of uh, to set him up for success. But, yeah, I think Tyron Smith's going to be around for a, a couple years to come at least. Or uh, still calling the plays? Yeah, he's calling the plays at the moment. I know there's probably been a little a little influence from Mike McCarthy just based off of the offensive pedigree that he brings to the table. But, yeah, right now it, it still continues to be Kellen Moore's show. Uh, have they said how much the offense will change now that Andy Dalton is in the game? 
they try they're they're trying to pull pull this off without having to change a whole lot. And I, I kind of agree with them in the standpoint where you don't want to completely revamp and upend your offense based on the fact of uh, of you're losing your quarterback. Sure, you, you, but I think the offensive line probably plays a bigger uh, a bigger role in having to change up the play calling. They're going to have to keep things. Uh, keep things short, keep things within 10 yards. You're not going to be able to take those deep uh, threats down the field as much as you normally would. It, it, whenever you look at the the running game, you're going to have to rely on it, even though, of course, Ezekiel Elliott's had his problems in terms of holding on to the football the last couple of weeks and to start this 2020 season. So you're going to have to lean on Zeke. But that was kind of the game plan initially. You want to run the football to set up the pass with Ezekiel Elliott and then moving into Dak Prescott. But now you just replace Prescott with Andy Dalton, who's a, a very capable, very veteran uh, backup quarterback and somebody who I think didn't look good on Monday Night Football, but I think he'll find his rhythm pretty soon. Who is his backup now? Ben DiNucci, seventh-round draft pick out of James Madison, who uh, had known Mike McCarthy previously because he started his collegiate career up in Pittsburgh – and then worked his way via the transfer to James Madison, went to two straight national championship games, and actually played his played his final game in Frisco, which is just a couple miles down the road from where the Cowboys facility is. But he is the backup quarterback for now. They did bring in Garrett Gilbert, an SMU product, and, of course, a former Texas quarterback with uh, who came in for Colt McCoy in that 2009 national championship game against Alabama. So he's been around the state of Texas before, was still in Texas, and so they signed him to kind of be the practice squad third-string quarterback. So they've got three quarterbacks on the roster right now, but it's Danucci at least at the moment, that's the backup. Do you think that Zeke, if they asked the owner about that Zeke contract, is he still happy? Do you think he was pressured into win-now mode by giving up that contract? I, I wonder how many more of these we'll see for running backs. Yeah, I think at the moment you're, you're, you're questioning it because of the, the recent struggles that, that Zeke has had. But here's the thing. We, we haven't had Zeke struggles in the past. I mean, this is a guy who's been about as consistent as consistent can be. He's still a top-five running back in the NFL, even though he – uh, hasn't necessarily had the, the yards per carry or the, the ball security that you would normally see from 21 in the backfield. He's still a huge part of your team, and he's a leader. Uh, he, he addressed the team following uh, the disappointing loss on Monday, and, and that's something you want to see from a guy like him. He's a fan favorite. People love him around here in the building, outside of the building. Uh, he's somebody that I think they still want to be around this team for a good amount of time. I, and uh, I, there's a lot of blowback on the, the contract. And, and like you said, it, it might be the last one of its kind whenever it comes to, to running backs. I mean, we've seen guys like Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook and Alvin Kamara get big deals, but not deals like the Ezekiel Elliott contract. So I think uh, I, I, I overall think that he's still somebody that's welcome around the building. But even though he's had a couple struggles lately, he's going to get some blowback based off of how big his contract is. But I fully expect him to turn it around. It seemed at the time from the outside looking in that wide receiver wasn't a necessity. Uh, I love the talent of Lamb, but were you, decide, were you uh, surprised that they went that way with the first pick? Not really. Uh, we... <laughs> 
it's funny because uh, I host the I host the show called the Draft Show, and it's a podcast that we have uh, throughout the off season here from the Cowboys headquarters. And we really we we started a uh, we started a conversation of Team Forty Burger was the was the the conversation of hey let's we know our defense is bad, but our uh, our offense could be really good with some of these really exciting wide receivers, and those exciting wide receivers included. Uh, I mean, uh, included Henry Ruggs out of Alabama, Jerry Judy, his collegiate teammate, and then, of course, CeeDee Lamb. But CeeDee Lamb was a player that we didn't really expect to fall all the way to to pick 17. And the fact that he was there, it was pretty much a no-brainer at that point. Let's take CeeDee Lamb. Let's add that to Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup. uh, Give extra weapons for this offense to work around. And right now, sure, your your defense – is historically bad at the moment, but you also look at it and you say, who could have added to this defense immediately? I really don't know if there was a player in that draft or even who was on the board at that point who would have made an immediate impact defensively uh, for you like like you need at this point with a, with a defense. So I think the addition of C.D. Lamb, he's played outstanding so far. He's one of the best slot receivers in the NFL already, or at least he has been for the first six weeks of the season. And he's off to a hot start, and I, I think he'll continue that. He's got – I think the fact that they went for him was was pretty smart of a pick. It's the best player available on the board, and he was exactly that at 17. Alden Smith looks like a reincarnation in Dallas. He's been great so far. What is the organization saying about him? Oh, they, they're ecstatic about him. I mean, the fact that – Really, one of the trouble spots of your defense has been your pass rush, but it's not been because of 58 on the outside. And, of course, you, you had to replace another 58, Robert Quinn, who was kind of a similar signing, came in on a, on a one-year prove-it deal veteran contract that, hey, if you, if you come in and produce, you're, you're going to get your, your deal elsewhere. And that's exactly what Robert Quinn did. He cashed in, went to Chicago, and he's still starting up there. But then you got Alden Smith, who was a little bit more of an extreme situation where – he hasn't played in five years and he hasn't been uh, a specific uh, or prolific player, at least in recent memory. Of course, he was extremely prolific during his time in San Francisco. Then he went over to Oakland and kind of struggled a little bit there. But I think uh, whenever you look at what he's brought to the table so far, he's eating up double teams. He's somebody who had sack production early on, but he continues to put pressure on opposing quarterbacks and whenever you can get that out of a veteran like him, uh, we were talking about two or three sacks being a successful season. He's already had four plus. Um, and I, I think he'll continue to, to get his fill throughout the, the year. And I think it helps Demarcus Lawrence know that he has a, a, a war made on the other side of that, that defensive line that he can trust and that can contain. But he's, uh, he's somebody that's definitely been a successful signing so far in the organization and someone that the Cowboys are proud to have. Is he just getting more attention? Well, Demarcus is is getting a ton of uh, a ton of attention, no doubt. I think he's he's somebody who is an All Pro level type of pass rusher, and sure, the, the sack levels haven't been there lately. But he leads the team in pressures. He's somebody who continues to to eat up game plan and and attention on that side of the defensive line, no matter who you're playing. I, you're not hearing his name as much because the sack numbers aren't there. But if you look at pressures, pressures equals production from a defensive line standpoint. 
And I think that's what this defensive line really brings to the forefront. Jim Tom Sula believes that as well. Uh, and even though he hasn't had the flash plays or he hasn't had the big time moments, he did have one against the Giants with a strip sack uh, and a fumble force that turned into a scoop and score. So he's still made some of those plays, but overall, you're you're right. He he's kind of been a little more under the radar, which I think he likes. Uh, I had totally forgotten that Tom Sula is uh, on the staff there. I love that <laughs> guy. Uh, Van Der Esch came back last week. How do you look? Look good. It was limited action for, for Leighton. Only played 32 snaps in the game, and, and he had the three tackles, I believe, throughout the, the course of Monday Night Football. But the, the important thing was is he came out of it healthy. First full game in 16 tries for Leighton Van Der Esch. Got hurt in week one against the Rams and had to take some time with a broken collarbone. But the thing is, is he came back quicker than a lot of people really anticipated. It was a a five to six weeks or a six to eight weeks type of uh, type of diagnosis. Well, he came back in less than five. And so it was, uh, it was a little nerve wracking to throw him back out there, but the training staff cleared him and uh, he was ready to go. And I, I'm excited to, to think about the possibilities of him adding to this defense and really giving him some much needed reinforcements going into the latter parts of the season. But he looked good, stayed healthy, and that's the important part for now. We don't have very many weapons on Washington. We do have Terry McLaurin. (laughs) Who will be tasked with covering the wide receiver on Sunday? You know, I don't know. Uh, Because of the versatility that Terry does show on the the outer edge. I think there's an opportunity that we could see Jordan Lewis or Anthony Brown on him. Should he go and play in the slot a little bit? If he's outside, he's most likely going to be, I would probably say maybe Daryl Worley or even a Cheeto Awuzie. If he comes back from IR, I think they're hoping that that Cheeto Awuzie comes back and plays this week, but I I don't know if that's going to happen yet. We're going to, we're still waiting on practice to start, here are the next couple of minutes, but uh, I think you, you'll probably see a, a heavy dose of Anthony Brown on Terry McLaurin. And I, I think maybe even the rookie Trayvon Diggs, but there's going to be a, it's going to be a group effort slowing him down. Cause he, you talk about not having weapons. He is a weapon. And I think he's one of the better younger he, he is the weapon. in the NFL. Yep. I think he's fantastic. And you know, watching him on film, his route running, his hands are just fantastic. Uh, and he'll be a challenge for a banged-up secondary and a secondary that's absolutely susceptible to good wide receivers. One last one for you, Colin. I appreciate your time today. What, do you expect the Cowboys will be buyers at the deadline? You know, it, I think that depends on the next couple of days or next couple games, rather, is you have an opportunity here to, to get a couple wins and try and get back into the, the, the race in the, the NFC East. And, and Washington's a formidable opponent. Cowboys haven't won a road game, and you play both Washington and Philadelphia on the road in back-to-back weeks. So if you do come out with wins in each of those two games, you're 4-4, four and four, uh, you're going to take on Pittsburgh prior to the bye week, and that'll be a tough matchup. Maybe you're buying at that point. Maybe you're trying to go for the division title, trying to get back to uh, upwards of over 500 even with a backup quarterback and a banged-up offensive line, that's not going to come walking through the door anytime soon. So these next two weeks are going to tell a lot. If they drop one of these twos, I don't expect them to buy uh, at all at the trade deadline. And if they they drop both of them, they might be sellers. But it it really does depend. I think these next two weeks are 
uh, are crucial into the, the how this 2020 season is going to turn out for the Cowboys, and it starts Sunday in Washington. Kyle Yeomans, everybody, hosted the pre- and the post-game show at Talking Cowboys. Kyle, thank you again for your time. Absolutely, Douglas. Thanks for having me. Okay. Nate Coleman joins us for his weekly Behind the Numbers segment. Nate, how you doing? Doug, what's going on? Oh, not much, not much. Uh, Nate, let's get right into it. The decision to go for two in the moment surprised me. It pissed my wife off, but the numbers say something specific about whether to go for it, don't they? Yeah, I mean, the numbers absolutely say you go for it there, uh, regardless of home field or away. Not that that really matters when there's no fans in the crowd anyway, but uh, yeah, the numbers say you should go for it. Uh, I know it upset a lot of fans, but that was your best chance to win the game. Um, If you can't get two yards, you probably aren't good enough to win in overtime. Um, but I understand I understand why people are upset. And I will say that Ron Rivera's logic behind why he goes for it is often misplaced. Uh, he's not analytically inclined at all. He just likes to go for it based off of gut feel. Um, so that's that's wrong too. But in this instance, I mean, I like it. You also got to think uh, on fourth down, they have an excellent conversion rate on the year, and they were two for two during that game on fourth down. So I, I like the call. I'm fine with it. I didn't necessarily love the play call. Um, I don't know why Allen got out of the pocket as soon as he did. He didn't really seem like he tried to buy time. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with the call at all. And the concept there being easier to get, one play for two yards, then have to go 70 yards down the field for a score, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty basic. I mean, even even Washington, with as inept as their offense is, they still are averaging over two yards per carry. Um, they haven't been bad in the red zone either. It it was more an issue with play calling, and no, none of the players really seemed to get open. And they also didn't do a great job of flowing towards the quarterback or trying to create passing lanes for Allen to throw to each week that goes by the offensive coordinators decisions become more and more curious what is the game plan do we know yeah I mean uh, Scott Turner has gotten a lot of criticism and I understand it and there are situations that I that I don't like um one that stands out to me is running the ball after a uh, basically a first down incompletion or a negative play. Uh, just a basic, basic rule is you never run the ball on second down and long. Um, you're giving yourself a lower chance of converting a third down or converting a big play. You have to pass the ball there. And if you watch that, if you watch the last game, I think there were four instances of them running the ball on second and long in just the first quarter. And all of those resulted in minimal gains for the most part. And the one time they did throw the ball in that game on second and long, they had a, a first down conversion. Um, so it, it's just a, it's a pet peeve of mine, but uh, Scott Turner, there are some peripheral numbers you like, right? You, you like early down passing, you like play action on first down. You like, they have the fastest pace in the NFL right now. They run more plays per second than any other team in the league. So you like some of that stuff, but 
it's almost like they're a little too pass happy given how inefficient they are passing the football. Um, and they just, it, uh, the other big issue I'm kind of seeing is, and a lot of people have mentioned this, it, sometimes the uh, route concepts don't always make sense. For instance, it, it'll be a third down and long. And, and uh, Mark Bullock has a great article about this. I think it came out last week in The Athletic. Um, but essentially, you have five receivers going out for a route. Two of them are 10 yards short of the sticks, and that leaves three receivers to get to the third down you know, marker in order to convert a, a third down. And it's kind of hard to re- rely on receivers who are basically out of the play or for them to gain 10 yards on a catch versus throwing the ball down the field. But Turner is a young offensive coordinator. He hasn't had a lot of experience. And, I mean, he has probably the worst weapons in the NFL to work with uh, outside maybe the Jets. So I, I think you got to give him time. Um, my another another huge issue I guess I have is they drafted Antonio Gibson to be their weapon. They they went out of their way to acquire him. They drafted him early compared to where a lot of other teams had him. And the whole time we were promised a Swiss Army knife and a weapon, and he's just be being used as basically a first and second down running back. Uh, I mean that just can't happen. When when you don't have any playmakers, you have to use the guys you have. And the worst way you can use them is to hand off the ball to him. So that's something I want to see change. They're doing that with J.D. McKissick, but you can you can do the same thing with, with Antonio Gibson. Yeah, they're last in the league at yards per carry, uh, and I think they're down at the bottom towards attempts in general. Uh, and now is do you think that's more of the scheme, or is that more of Antonio Gibson really figuring out what it is to be an NFL running back? Um, I've heard people critique Gibson's uh, vision, but from an efficiency standpoint, he's first in the league and avoided tackles per carry. So, so that's doing something right. Uh, and part of it is they don't run the ball very often. And when they do, it's usually on suboptimal downs where you're not going to gain a lot. Um, I, I don't think Gibson is the problem. I think it's, it's pretty simple. Would you rather have Gibson run against a stacked front with a bad offensive line, or would you rather have him out in space catching the ball one-on-one against defenders? And th- that's where he's going to win more. I, he played receiver in college just as much as he played running back. He's not a great route runner or anything, but it's better than, than the alternative when you look at our other receivers that we have. Um, and not to mention, we're more efficient throwing out of 21 personnel. That's two running backs and one tight end. We're more efficient throwing out of that anyway. So you would, you would think they would find a way to do that more often. Do you think that there'll be buyers or sellers here at the trade deadline? You've referenced the lack of weapons repeatedly, and it's not just you. I think it's widely known that they're not very good. Yeah, with with regards to the trade deadline, I've heard a lot of fans kind of – it's just like with anything. They they want to deal in absolutes, right? Oh, we can't we can't be buyers. We have to be sellers because we're a bad team. Or we have to be buyers. We have a chance at the division. Well, nothing is that cut and dry, right? Um, the the league it all depends about the market and the compensation you're giving up. If if you can get a good player on a great deal, go for it. Um, then again, if if the price is too much, then you gotta you can't do that either. So 
what I would be doing as a franchise is being very uh, judicious about checking with each and every team to see who's available and where you can get a good discount. And that also comes into play with understanding the draft class and free agency. For example, this year, the, the draft class for receivers is insane. This is one of the deepest class. We're already dealing with back-to-back really deep wide receiver classes. Um, and, and on top of that, you're looking at a free agency class where you have some studs coming out like Juju Smith-Schuster, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, Will Fuller, uh, and Chris Godwin, be- best of all of them. So there's an opportunity to add uh, skill position players later on in the offseason, but you just want to be smart about your moves. Um, I, I saw people talking about getting rid of players, but you don't want to ever sell depreciated assets. That's that's a mistake in any walk of life, whatever you're doing. So I don't understand the trade Dwayne Haskins or trade Landon Collins. Like, why would you trade pennies for the dollar? You know, I mean, it, it, it doesn't make sense. So we, we you have to wait until their value has at least appreciated a little bit more before you make those moves. But there's nothing wrong with shopping now and understanding the market ahead of time. I keep hearing about depreciated value. Uh, at some point, they'll have to try to get Haskins back on the field, won't they? He's not worth anything now, and I can't understand how he'll ever be worth anything more if they don't get him back out on the field. Allen isn't the future. Certainly number 11 is. Do you think they'll put him back out on the field this year to try to get some of that value worked back up? I don't think they want to, but I don't think they'll have a choice. When you look at the quarterback room right now, um, I, I would say that Allen has played better than Haskins, um, objectively. He, he's slightly better. But what we're talking about is what is that gap? What is the gap between Allen and Haskins? Is it so great that it doesn't make sense for you to put Haskins out there anyway? Uh, and, and to me, no, the answer is no. The, the gap is small, but, but Allen is – he gives you a better chance at winning, and the offense is slightly better with him. And – but it doesn't really benefit us in the long long run to have Allen there. I think Allen can be a really good backup for us, and I think he's proving that. Um, but w- with Haskins, I mean, you have you have to give him a chance to recoup some value. Who knows? Eventually, he could show some flashes. He could get there. And uh, the most important thing for this offseason is knowing whether we have the answer at quarterback. Most most think we don't, but uh, that that'll give us our answer if you let him play the rest of the year. So I don't really. And he'll probably give us a better chance of losing anyway. And if you want to tank, then that might be the best way to do it. The defensive numbers came out today. I believe that Washington was ranked sixth overall. I was surprised to see that they were inside the top 10 in passing defense and outside of the bottom 20 in run defense. I would have guessed it would have been flip-flopped before the season started. Yeah, a big part of that is uh, game flow. So when you're playing with the deficit a lot, the offense that you're going up against is more likely to run the ball. So they've they've dealt a lot more with that. Um, but overall, I mean, they've done a good job. Seventh o- overall in DVA and six, six against the pass. And, and with the Giants game, you, you kind of saw a complementary uh, offense where, where the offense was putting together methodical drives, and that was forcing the Giants offense to stay off the field. And I think they only ran like 49 plays in that game, which is so – that's like nothing. So if you if you can do something like that and keep the other team's offense off the field, that's probably the way to go. But it's not going to be like that every week. Then again, it's also not going to be like the Rams every week. So I, I don't think the defense is a top 10 unit, 
but I don't think they're like a bottom 10 unit either. I think they're firmly a top 15 and they have that pass rush pass rush with, which kind of helps everything. Um, but the best way to generate a pass rush is, is to play with a lead. And that's something that we haven't done all year. Uh, no, we have not. Speaking of getting a lead, what's, uh, what will it take this week for the offense to get going against what's considered one of the worst defenses in the league when we face Dallas on Sunday? I mean, if, if you watch the game last night, it doesn't seem like it'll take very much. Um, but that's, that's probably wishful thinking. Uh, I think Dallas is a much better team than us. I understand that they look bad yesterday, but they have too many good skill position players to play this poorly. And I don't know what needs to happen. I don't know if they're going to have to trade for another quarterback, but you really don't have to do a lot to beat other teams when you have Cooper and Gallup and, and, and you have CeeDee Lamb coming on strong. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that hard. And I, I, I'm a firm believer that they're the best team in the division. Uh, and the division's just not very good. But I, I'm, I'm pretty interested to see what's going to happen. I, I feel confident the offense can at least be as good as they were last week. Not that that was good, but, it, it, I mean, it was still a step up. And I, I imagine that uh, with Dalton, I imagine we can give him some trouble with sacks and pressure. And he's not a guy who's the most mobile quarterback you're going to find. Um, so, so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Dallas just present that Dallas is going to be the hardest test for us as far as uh, our defensive backs going up against wide receivers, because they have, they have three receivers that we haven't really seen the likes of before. Yeah, it's interesting. We've played most of the upper tier quarterbacks so far, at least on our schedule. Um, he will be, uh, a drop off from that, but they probably have the best of the skilled players that we've seen so far. Yeah. I mean, uh, CD lamb is on a historic pace for a rookie and he's just, <laughs> he's the next rookie receiver to do that. It just seems like there's so many good rookie receivers right now and we can't ever seem to find one except for Terry McLaurin. But yeah, uh, Dallas, Dallas is stacked at the skill positions that you even see like Blake Jarwin go down and Dalton Schultz steps up and it's pretty solid. And then, like, Tony Pollard, Pollard is their backup running back, and he's better than – seems like half the other running backs in the league, and he's just their backup. So uh, they have a good offense. They just – I don't know what it is with – if it's McCarthy or, or, or what, but I, I thought Kellen Moore is a really good offensive coordinator too. So I'm not sure if it's just losing Dak obviously is a huge blow, but I'm interested to see the chess match between Jack Del Rio and Kellen Moore. Yeah, it'll be interesting. There are reports coming out of Dallas today that the locker room is on fire mm -hmm. and that uh, that players think that the coaches are trash. So <laughs> uh, I, I guess I guess if nothing else, we can at least know that the locker room still apparently appreciates the coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, everyone kind of talked about how McCarthy has changed a new leaf and he's a guy who's embraced analytics and forward thinking philosophies as far as coaching goes, but maybe that was all just a, uh, you know, a wolf and sheep's skin where they're, where he really hasn't changed that much. Um, but it's hard to see. I mean, their offense looked fine up until, uh, up until Dak went down. So I, I would expect a bounce back, whether they add a quarterback or what they decide to do. But I mean, my God, their defense is historically bad. I mean, I, Nolan shouldn't even be a defensive coordinator. He hasn't had success there ever. Like it's been a decade since he was good as a defensive coordinator. So I, I don't understand why they hired him. 
Um, you really don't have to do a lot. You just have to be a below average defense. That's all you need in Dallas because their offense is so good and he can't even do that. Uh, yep, it's, uh, it's been odd to say the least. Uh, well, Nate, we appreciate it as always. We'll talk to you next time. All right, sounds good, man. Have a good one. All right, thanks.